1: What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. We've got our normal SEC Sunday football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg as Ole Miss loses to Alabama 30 to 24. Broke down all of that. The missed opportunity that was Ole Miss's chances of a New Year's Six Bowl dwindling and what the last two games mean. Uh, in consequence of this season as well as Lane Kiffin's feature in Ole Miss as there seemed to be a little bit of a uh, minor internet freak out about that one on Sunday night. So we got into all of that and, of course, Soccer Corner, the fastest-growing segment on American Soil there at the very end. So buckle up. We break it all down. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. Ray is a licensed real estate agent based in Oxford that can help you buy or sell a home, whether it's a two-bedroom condo, or a five-bedroom dream home. Raising Oxford-based guy, old Miss guy, takes pride in providing individualized service to each and every one of the customers he serves, and he takes pride and cherishes putting you in homes that you will enjoy for forever. So maybe you're looking for that new weekend getaway. Great weekend in Oxford this weekend. No better time to buy your own place. Stop staying in overpriced hotel rooms or asking friends where to stay. Maybe you're looking to get into the market of a second home, a getaway home here in Oxford. Ray can help you do that. Maybe you're looking to sell yours and move to another place. Maybe you're based in Oxford looking to buy and sell. Ray can handle all of that for you. All you have to do is give him a call at 601-624-4824. Tell him I sent you. He'll get you set up He'll listen to your needs, and he will provide you options within your price range, and he will certainly provide the most value possible if you are looking to sell your home. Check him out, Ray Stevens, 601-624-4824. For, give him a call and he'll get you set that up and squared away. I wouldn't send you to someone I don't trust. I can promise you that. Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate there in Oxford. Again, that is 601-624-4824. Broker number is 601-832-7777 podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gaming handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You know the drill. Go check them out. They're crushing on the NFL, they're crushing it in college football, and their bread and butter, college basketball, that they destroy every single year is getting rolling as well. Take advantage now. Don't keep paying the bookie. Let the man pay you. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code Rippy R I P P E E. That'll get you twenty percent off any picks package. They'll send it to you in a nice color coded spreadsheet with uh, broken down by units. And boom, you're all of a sudden much better equipped to profit than you were ten minutes before using Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a be right subscriber. That's substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with that. Then go find all of your own favorites because Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Weather's getting cooler. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Throw something delicious on the grill from LB's. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right. We now welcome on Repeat Rights football correspondent for Miss former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg. Boy, do we have a lot to unpack in this one. Ole Miss loses to Alabama thirty to twenty four. Um, in a game that was a very strange one, but uh, a lot to cover in this one. What's up, man? How are you? You're in Baton Rouge for a uh, another series of uh, or another engagement party. As these just kind of keep on coming and coming at this stage of life. How are you?
2: Pretty exhausted, <laughs> if we're being honest. Uh, I was at an engagement party for my fiance's sister, so we were down there, and it, it, was, it was a good time and everything. I actually ended up showing up like 30, 45 minutes late because I told my fiance I'm not getting to the party until the Ole Miss game is over, and it started at 6, of all things, which was I thought was a little weird. Um, but yeah, so got back probably like an hour ago to Houston, so pretty tired, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I've uh, I've been kind of running on fubes toward the end of the week too. We had a big week at uh, RubbleGrove.com, and uh, we wanted to get to the like, top of this or at least at the top real quick. Is like I'm really bad about like doing like the self plugging on writing and stuff like that. But uh, I was up late a couple nights this week doing that story on uh, Thomas Mayo and the Mayo family. And I know that uh, I know that kind of hits close to home for you as well because obviously you knew William one year apart in school um uh, you know you participated i say participated you were a college student with a very normal college experience i went to do <laughs> a trip up on some wording there and lived a pretty normal college experience. kind of understand the drug culture on there but you guys can check that out at rebelgrove.com but uh that was something that took up most of my week i was glad to do it um but just something that's we didn't have to deal with in college and it's kind of kind of terrifying
2: no i mean obviously yeah like well, mayo and i were good buddies he's a year older than me and Kay, and um you know i was i was glad to see you wrote that i mean obviously you don't you know what i mean when i say that i mean it it was a a story that i I share with a lot of people and you know someone on the board tagged me in it and i just, just hadn't thought about it ever and um i hadn't thought about what my response would be and after reading the story and like just realizing the shit that's going on in this world right now and you know really honestly how impressive Mr. Cow was in that situation. And I thought about how I would handle that situation. It was just really, really well-written. And, you know, I guess getting back to just difference, you know, difference of generations. I mean, it's not that long ago when we were in college. I I mean, I'm 26 years old. I graduated in 18. Um, I had never once even been under the impression that there was fentanyl in anything it was not even heard of. I mean, it was not even a, a part of our reality. And, um, I guess the past, like probably two or three years, I've heard so many just horror stories, um, similar to the one that happened in the Mayo family of just, you know, someone bought a bag, sack of Coke and three of their friends, you know, all did some and they all passed away or, you know, the thing with Mayo, just one, you know, third of a a Percocet pill. And then it's just a, you know, playing Russian roulette with your friends basically unbeknownst to them or unknown to them. And uh, it's just sad. It's a, it's a, it's a pandemic, I guess. I don't know if that's the correct vocabulary word for it that I don't know what the, you know, the, the cure is. I don't know what the, what the, you know, what What way to move forward to handle this, because, you know, you're not a bad person. You know, drugs are bad. You're not a bad person if you in college partake in it uh, under a semi reasonable amount. I know that sounds stupid and ignorant, but, you know, it's it's kind of part of life. Some people just, you know, you try new things in college, you, know, you try to learn and grow. And for a lot of people, it's not for you. And for some, it, you know, it, it's too much. Uh, and we we both know plenty of people on both sides of that spectrum, and I always come back to that and realize like th- this this can happen to anybody in any circumstance. Could be your first time or your last time, and I, I'm not promoting the use of drugs. Obviously,
3: <laughs> it's
2: just it's just crazy. Um, what's going on right now. And even with the recreational, I mean, just simple marijuana you, you can buy and it's not legal everywhere. So, you know, you got to get it from somewhere. If, you, if that's something you're into and it, that shit can be laced too. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And it, I really, you know, read that story and had to do a lot of, you know, thinking. And I hope that that's what other people did when they read it on, you know, their decisions for themselves in the future, for their younger brothers, you know, for their kids, Uh, Just like having a real talk, be like, man, this shit risk reward. It is not worth it at all. We are in a time and place that it's you can't take that risk anymore. Um, And there's really, I mean, there's not no excuses, but at this point, you have to be educated. And I hope that story educated as many people as it could to what exactly is going on in our world right now.
1: Yeah, well said, dude. And I really appreciate that. And you know, you, you hit on something that I thought was kind of thought thinking of throughout this entire process. So. I guess a little backstory is one of those things William texted me about three weeks ago, asking me if I'd be willing or interested in helping him write this. And it was kind of weird because there was something that an article come out in the North side Sun about Thomas, I think in late September. Um, And I read it and I thought it was nice and it was obviously a nice gesture. And I'm, I'm glad that his story was getting out, but I did felt it just kind of barely scratched the surface of what something like that could be. And I would never like, Text Mayo or a buddy of mine and ask to do something like that. You know what I mean? Like, some been, 100%, 100%.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, you're, you're, I've done more personal stories on like athletes and stuff, but I don't know those people. So if they tell me to kick rocks, I just keep it moving on a Thursday or whatever. You know what I mean? To where asking like one of your close friends to relive something like that. It's just something I'd never do, but I was happy when he texted me because it was something I'd been thinking oh. about. And then Throughout the writing process, I had the same thought as you did. Really, it was ever-present the entire time. Would 21- or 22-year-old me have listened? Would I have, like, listened or would I have like, someone come talk and tell you drugs are bad or whatever? Like, how many of those do we sit through? And it kind of goes in one year out the other for a lot of people. And that was something I thought about the entire time. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I probably landed on the fact that at 21 to 22 years old, it would have been hard to listen to it. But I think if someone would have explained it to me the right way, maybe. And, like, not shaming, which is kind of what the mayors are doing with this. It's just trying to educate them. And as you hit on earlier, it's just a problem we did not have when we were in college. It just wasn't present. I talked a lot. uh, I talked to the Mississippi Director of Narcotics or Bureau of Narcotics for like an hour, and he mentioned I was trying to get an idea of when it actually came on the radar. I'd say about a year ago I started hearing stories about fentanyl and stuff like that, but it really kind of seemed like not a non-issue, but definitely not something that hit close to home and definitely not something – that seemed as widespread as maybe it actually was. And he mentioned that it, they really first started seeing it around 2015. That was the early, early days of them beginning to see it. with now, it, My right,
2: sophomore year. yeah.
1: Right, in my junior year, with it not really kicking up into a widespread problem until about 2019. So the last three years, and the numbers back that up in terms of synthetic opioid deaths in the country, the last three years, this has really become a widespread issue. and that's what I was trying to trying to articulate or impress upon people. And I got to the writing like through the writing process and look, you do these other like long stories on athletes or sports and all this other stuff. and like people say nice things and don't get me wrong, I'm glad people read it and that's very nice. but it didn't actually mean anything. And I, I just, I got to a point where I was like, this might actually could help make a difference in some way. And I've never really worked on a project where that was the case. And, you know, I'm appreciative that a lot of people read it and it made the rounds, but it was really the people saying, I just sent this to my 17 year old son. I just sent this to my 15 year old daughter or a college student or whatever that really kind of hit home and, and was gratifying because. It is terrifying. I mean, you described as playing roulette with your life. That's exactly what it is. You just don't know what you're buying anymore. You mentioned saying, I don't necessarily know what the solution is. And I know this sounds simplistic, but like literally the only solution is to just get people not to do drugs, which is obviously you're never going to get everyone in the world to just stop doing it. There's three reason drugs flow into this country at the rate they do. There's a supply for it. But to your, I guess, kind of just get to your point that you were making is like, there is no other workaround. You just have to beg, like basically ask and beg and plead and educate these kids not to do it because, again, it's not the same anymore. The entire game is completely different than it was even just five, you know, six years ago when we were in college. And that's kind of the scary part of it Um, because, again, you know, 19- to 22-year-old dudes, kind of hard-headed, think they're invincible, think they have everything figured out. I know I was the same way. Um and that's just the part that like, I guess is so terrifying to me, particularly having a brother that age is like, you know, when we were in college, I felt like most of the overdose stuff was guys mixing drugs, right? Go cocaine. And then maybe take a Xanax, yeah, to sleep, right, right, right. Speedballing, you yeah. wake up, cardiac arrest, you don't wake up. This is just any time. I mean, it takes a third of a pill or whatever a dose is in a third of a fentanyl, a fentanyl in a Percocet pill and you're done. And uh, that's just the terrifying part to me about it. it scares the hell out of me. And uh, you know, hopefully people read that and, it scares them a little bit too, to be completely honest, and kind of. No, abso- absolutely. I think
2: that's the main point. It's it, it's you know we you talk about like dare and in, in middle school and high school and like talking about how bad marijuana is and you know the devil's lettuce or whatever. This, this is not that. This this no, is not. Um, I mean, if someone had come to you know the K house and been like, "Hey guys, like guess what's out there? It's this stuff." And if you ever take oh. it, you're giving yourself an opportunity to die on spot like that changes a lot of the narratives compared to like, you know, you know, you'll get addicted and have some problems like, you know, that that doesn't really hit home with a lot of college guys. Uh, trust me. And this, this absolutely does. And I hope that, you know, a lot of campuses, you know, can start to really, try to figure out a way to to get this out there in a in a very you know systematic way because it's it's a real 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 problem and you know you just hear so much about it these days and it's just it's depressing and you know i i think the the exciting or not the exciting part but the the positive take from from the story was was how his dad how mr Cal handled everything and you know that's just I mean it has to be impossible but to be able to take such a horrifying situation and attempt to to make you know your community a better place is kind of like the perfect way to to go about it and that was that was awesome to read. So I didn't mean to you know hype you up too much on this but I did, <laughs> I did think it was important to talk about um because it hit home with me and to the, those I sent it to I know you've got a lot of feedback on this. So I think it was good to to start talking talking about it just a little bit.
1: No, dude, I appreciate it. I'm glad you brought that up as a point to talk about. It. And, of course, we'll get to the game in just a second. But I do think it's important because I'm kind of bad about doing that. And then it was just something I'd forgotten about. But, yeah, it's just you know – it is. I mean, it's impressive for, for his strength and his ability to be able to do something like that. And it started in that moment at Sigma Chi because, I mean, he literally told me he got in the car and was like, I don't really know what I just said or how I just said it or even how all of this came together – but that kind of felt good. And then it just turned into kind of what it's turned into today. So I, I really admire their strength. I appreciate them you know, reaching out and wanting to do this. And uh, you can check it out at rebelgrove.com. It's still up there. Um, if you have any trouble finding a link, just shoot me a DM or whatever. But uh, definitely send it to uh, any of the young people in your life because it uh, it can happen to them. And that's kind of Cal's message, even though you don't think so. Um, right. I guess just kind of getting to the game, Ole Miss loses 30-24. to 24. I don't know where the hell we even start with this, but we could start at a million different places. I'll just throw a macro thought your way. This was not a kind of play above your heads type of game. You know, eventually, the like, there's a correction and the better team comes out on top. I mean, that may have been the case at the end. That's not debatable. But point being was this wasn't really built up on smoke and mirrors. They had this game one and just were not able to finish it off. And I think that's why, I mean, Kiffin seemed pretty down in the press conference. Now, naturally, the players were too. But um this was just one they had this game. They outgained Alabama. They threw for more yards. They ran for more yards. The turnover battle was even. The red zone was about the same. Alabama had four scores and four tries. Uh three three of those being or two of those being field goals, three field goals total. But everything was about the same here. And it was one of those things where I did kind of leave the game wondering how Alabama actually found a way to win that game because Ole Miss was was really kind of dominant through portions throughout. And that really just kind of makes it sting worse. If you're old Miss, they, they had it for the taking and they just could not finish the job.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it couldn't have said it better. The whole, the whole time I was thinking about what I was going to say about it. And the only thing that could come up was just, just what a missed opportunity it was uh, on on the macro and macro level, a, a micro level of just winning the football game and continuing, you know, your ability to potentially compete in the West to win the West, you know, not in your, in your control, but, you know, not out of your control either. And then, you know, just from a macro level of just, you know, kind of making a statement of where your program is at now uh, the fact that you would be you know nine and one and beating Alabama and having two games to win 11 games, which would just be another step in the correct direction from last year, winning 10, um, you know, now, it, it's just i mean the season's not over but for all intents and purposes any real accomplishments are over because you you're not going to a new year 6 game almost certainly because there's you know four teams ahead of you unless you know one of those loses a game or two you're going to a florida bowl so you know that's not anything anymore um it, it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back because they I mean they had opportunities early and late in the middle to really kind of solidify this game, to win this game, to kind of step on their necks a little bit. And, you know, with themes that have gone throughout the entire season, they just weren't able to do it. You know, the second half was poor again. Uh, I feel like this team has been a really bad middle eight team, you know, and and they're eight and two. I get it. I get it. But guess what? The expectations change with how the season goes. Um, And the expectation for this game was the ability to win it. And during the game, it made that you should win it. And after the game, you know, it's the same, that you should have won it. And that it's really as simple as that. And that's, I think, why it's so disappointing was not because, you know, they played, like you said, they played their ass off and they, you know, they kind of punched above their level and won five turnover battle, you know, won the turnover battle by five, you know, they just simply played better than Alabama but they just couldn't finish like they did. And um, I mean, it's a credit to young because he's a monster, but it's just a huge missed opportunity.
1: It really is. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, Kiffin said something to the effect after this game, I don't know if he's talking about just himself or the players, but he's basically said, you know, I'll remember this one for the rest of my life. Like you could tell it was really eating at him. Um, And uh, the game again was just right out there for the taking and, there were several key turning points. You're right. They haven't been a great middle eight team at all, right? The script is always good. Those first two drives on script, you know, their first drive coming out of the second half has been good. A lot of the time, I don't really have the numbers in front of me. I haven't looked at that yet, but when you get the game gets bogged down and you get into kind of the weeds of the game in the middle of the second quarter or the middle of the third quarter going into late in the game, they just haven't had a ton of consistent success offensively. And I don't know if I knew exactly how this game would go, what I thought how it would go like specifically but the way it played out was not how I thought I thought they were going to have trouble stopping Jameer Gibbs in the Alabama rushing attack and they really did it they bottled him up Uh, I think Alabama ran for 109 yards total in that game truthfully that's actually more than I would have guessed off the top of my head uh, just from watching it in real time I mean rushing wise you had McClellan who ended up being Uh, the leading rusher in that game. Gibbs only gets six carries for three yards. Did he get injured? What was the deal for that? McClellan ends up carrying it 19 times for 84, but Alabama averages like three and a half yards rush. They have to run it 36 times to gain 108 yards. That wasn't an issue at all. I mean, largely, I know the defense gave up some yardage, gave up some points in the second half, but they played more than well enough to win this game. I thought they maybe played their best game of the year. I was super impressed with how they played. And if you had told me they were going to play a game in that manner and Alabama was going to be held under 400 yards of offense, you know, the 30 points might have thrown me off a little bit. But I just said, hell yeah, Ole Miss probably wins this game. And they just did it. I mean, that's not how it played out. But that was maybe the most shocking part to me was they didn't lose this game because they couldn't get stops and get Alabama off the field. Look, could they have played better? Could they have allowed fewer points in the second half? Yeah, of course. Like you can always do they, that. They stopping
2: him for field goals. Yep, like three field goals like, in the second half, pretty consistently. I mean, that's kind of I mean. Yeah, of course. Bryce made an absolutely ridiculous play for that touchdown on third down. Uh, you know, that's kind of a, a touche play. Like he 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 made it all by himself, which is what he's done this entire season. Uh, there was opportunities to sack him and get him on the ground and, and in drives, and they couldn't do it. But that's not new for anybody because this the, he really is that good. I mean, he's an incredible player. Um, but, I mean, golly, it's just the red zones. I mean, it was the first drive. It's, you know, they they got on the third drive when it was 7-0. They're back in the red zone. They had to kick a field goal. It's it just They just could not convert down there. And that's been a weird, you know, Key thing, and of course the end of the game, you know, that, that's you know self-explanatory. Um, and I think it's just it probably hurts Kiffin and his team and the staff and everybody so much because you just don't this team is not vulnerable very often. And you're in a perfect scenario at home to to do it, to get them, to beat them. And you were the better team and you didn't. And that's just gotta be painful. I mean, I understand it. Uh, I mean, I saw the SP number today. Uh, Bill Connolly always puts out the like win expectancy based off of the outcome of the game. And Alabama only had a 47% win expectancy post game. It's kind of like a 2020 stat, uh, hindsight 2020 stat. So, I mean, it's like actually went against the numbers that they won the football game. And that's that sucks. (laughs) I mean, that just really, really, really sucks.
1: That is a tough pill to swallow. That's actually an incredible stat. I'd like to kind of dive into that more with some other games. Where can you find that? That is fascinating. So uh, he he follow? tweeted
2: he, he tweeted it out. Um, and there was a few others. Like I think LSU um, had like a forty eight percent win expectancy post game, uh, which makes sense because I mean they were terrible in that game. And there was a few. I think the the craziest one was like Wyoming had like a six percent win expectancy over like Utah State or something. So I mean, no, it, it's a it's, you know, it's analytics. It's it's a it's a semi-subjective stat, but I think it, it tells so true to how this game played out um, over the game flow. I mean, they were just – they were – I mean, Ole Miss was a better team who made crucial mistakes um, in key areas, and they lost.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no other better way to sum it up. And, you know, the other difference maker, the maybe the more intangible one – outside of what you just outlined and you hit on it a little bit a second ago, but the fact that Alabama had a Bryce Young and almost did it. I mean, look, I've been wrong a lot uh, through the years on this uh, podcast or various other platforms, <laughs> and maybe none more so than what I almost caught myself doing when Alabama played Texas in week two. There was a point in that maybe second or third quarter where I was like, is Bryce Young actually good or is he playing terrible? Like, is is this guy actually good and then, of course, you watch the fourth quarter, what he does on that final drive, and you're quickly like, "Snap back into reality here, son." He's incredible. Um, he's actually, well, we may not have known at the time, but definitely know it now. He's actually masking for what is all otherwise a pretty pedestrian Alabama.
2: It's here. not a good Alabama. Is not good. No, they're not. Uh, I would well. say they are. They are just not very good this year, and that's really, really weird to say. And I know it's like oh, they're still 8-2, and two, and they'll probably end up 10-2, and two, and, like, oh, like, that's a – you know, to their standard, it's a bad game. Like, no, they are bad for not only their standard, but, like, for a lot of standards. You know, they're just not very good this year, and that's what I think is the worst part about it. It's like, you know, Ole Miss – you're still not as talented as them, you know, top to bottom, but you were definitely better today or, or Saturday, and you just could not get it done. And that's, like – I think that's what Kevin's thought process is, is like – man, like not only were they gettable, but like we actually ended up playing a pretty solid game and just made just really crucial errors in certain points um, because this team wasn't very good. I mean, this is the fact. I mean, this is just a fact that they just were not they had not been good all year. And the way the first half played out, you know, if, if Zach Evans doesn't fumble that ball, I mean, that they might have won this game like pretty handily. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that, you know, fact of the game later.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, though, I guess the way I'd like to think, like, describe it, or the way I think about it, sometimes is like Alabama probably goes ten and two. I don't know who they play next week. I'm assuming they may have that one of those. SEC it's like it's like it's
2: like Alabama. fucking, you know, Austin P. and then Auburn.
1: Yeah. So one of those, and then they'll beat Auburn, but like without Bryce Young, is this Alabama team a seven win team? Do they go seven and five if they have another quarterback that's not Bryce Young?
2: I, I, I mean, in in hindsight, you know the way what we've seen, you know, if the backup quarterback played this year, um, Milrow, they they might be like an eight win team.
1: No kidding, like it's it's crazy to think about because that's not what you're used to with Alabama. But I mean, that kid was so good. I mean, the 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 play he made on that touchdown uh, was incredible. I mean, even other ones. I mean, he had a second and seven throw where that game's not. I think it was in this first half where things are not going well for Alabama. I think Ole Miss was up either three or ten points at this point. And he just he's about. I thought he was about to get sacked. He just like essentially teleports five feet to the right, gets out of it and throws a dime to the right sideline to convert for a first down. I don't know if Ole Miss would have stopped him in that particular instance. But even just small plays like that, you know, a lot of their offense, their receivers struggle to create separation. Their offensive line is just kind of bad and they don't really run the football very well. A lot of what they do offensively comes down to him just pulling plays out of his ass. And keeping them afloat and carrying that football team. And you saw that on display in so many ways, even in this game in the, in the, um, in Ole Miss's defeat. But it's just, it's unbelievable to watch. I mean, he really is keeping an otherwise pretty pedestrian football team afloat. And there were certain points in this game that I thought were pretty crucial in how the outcome of the game turned, and maybe none more so than the fumble. Um, I think that's probably where you want to start when you think, well, where did this? How did this go wrong, and why did this go wrong? Like Ole Miss outgained them, as we just outlined, and all of these things. Why didn't they win? Well, they're up 17 to seven with what a little over three minutes left. I think maybe when they get the football right before halftime, Alabama gets the ball back after halftime. In that moment, when you're trying to put away an Alabama team, I know we just talked about how good they. good they are not but a talented Alabama team a team that's been the class of the SEC for the better part of a decade now I remember sitting there thinking like okay this needs to be 17-7 at worst at halftime maybe you pop a big run maybe you put a good drive together and you can get it to 20-7 to or even 24-7 to and then you're really in business but like worst case scenario Alabama does not need to get the football back here this needs to be 17-7 and that didn't end up happening Evans fumbles. He gets hurt on the play and Alabama takes it in and it goes up seven or uh, scores and it's 17 to 14. And I don't know, I may be alone in this thought. Maybe you shared it as well. But uh, I, you know, I'm at the the, uh, old um, urinal at halftime, just trying to think about what happened in that first half. And it's like, they played a really good half of football and it feels very odd that they're going to be up to only like they're only up three points and there's a decent chance that they, you know, the next time they get the ball back, they could be down and that it ended up being the case because the defense held to a field goal. It ended up being tied. And I get it. Ole Miss got it back again, right before halftime again, but they didn't really do anything except for run it and take knees. Like Ole Miss had a chance to really put their stamp on that football game and they didn't do it. And all of a sudden, the next time they have a real drive in like a setting where they're actually trying to go down the field, enough time allotted to them, it's a tied game. And I thought that was a huge swing point in that game because it's 17-17. to 17. Again, you're wondering, how the hell is this game tied at this point? I wonder the same thing at halftime. That just felt like a massive, massive swing in that game that they didn't really ever recover from.
2: No. Um, I, I think at least mentally that it, it kind of changed a lot about the team. I mean, you had a chance to go – I mean, hypothetically, up twenty-four to seven, and at that point, it's like you know this Alabama team, like they you know they don't have the firepower of you know scoring a one play from you know Devonte Smith or these guys, I and mean, they were really struggling to get anything going in that first half. And Ole Miss just gave them a, a just a blank opportunity to do that. Um, and then I know, of course, some people are like, "Oh, it was targeting on the fumble," and you know, yeah, the helmets made contact, but that that was not targeting you know that that he tackled him and it, he fumbled the ball and i know we got knocked out but that's you know that that's football that that was definitely uh, a clean play and everything uh it, it just it was just really tough and to get you know to not be able to stop him right there to not be able to stop him getting points coming out of half and then kind of you know the first time getting the ball back after all that um and being like shit, like you know, th- this is a, a real game now. it is got to be pretty demoralizing for that team. And uh, I mean, the turnovers change games. I mean, it changed games, changed the game for Alabama when when JoJo fumbled the ball at the fifty yard line, and Ole Miss goes in to score on that drive. I mean, that's just how important the football is. And Zach has had fumbling issues this year. Uh, earlier than late and you know he hasn't been totally healthy and I'm not saying he shouldn't have been on the field but it's, it's just a, a product of, of an issue that he's had uh this year at least Um and it's, it's tough I mean that's just such a crucial point in the game and you know not getting the ball back it's just it, it was tough it was really really tough I, I mean I thought just offensively as a whole Kiffin did a very similar game plan to LSU. It felt like, and I don't know if it's his lack of trust in the O line blocking the, blocking the defensive line in both those teams. But the you know, Dart's throwing the ball all over the place, um, early and and often in that game. And uh, I-, I thought Dart played a good game. I don't think he played a great game, but I, I think, you know, people, some people don't understand. You know, I mean, he was under duress quite a lot in that football game. And, you know, at, at a certain point in time you know, that people were asking, like, why is he running so early? It's because he's just – that's in his head now. I under mean, siege, yep. He's under siege for a lot of the time. And, you know, unless they kind of, you know, draw up some, like, really clever play action, he just didn't have a lot of time back there at all. Um, so, you know, you're running the ball and you finally don't really get that going. So it, it just kind of seemed bogged. You know, of course, we always talk about they're the best script team ever, and you know, in the first quarter, they are ridiculously good. Uh, And then it gets relatively stale, and it's killed them. And now, two of their most important games of the season.
1: Yeah, it uh, it it has it has killed them at times this year. I kind of fell in the same boat. I, I thought that Dart played a good game, not necessarily a great game by any stretch of the imagination. But you're right; you saw that on display in terms of him being under siege. And, like, what I even meant in that moment, like, a second ago, was, like, even in times where he's not, you're exactly right. It's in his head. He knows that, like, his clock, is his internal clock has been sped up a little bit because of a lack of protection. Now, is some of that, could you say he needs to stand in there longer and, you know, have a better pocket? Sure. Because it's not on sure. the, it's not the case every play, but it did, for most of the game, seem like every time they got into an obvious drop back passing down, um, where, you know, there was no real option to run. Like even on the last play of the game where they uh, motioned Judkins out wide and you're sitting there thinking maybe that was third down, I can't remember. But either way, where it became obvious, okay, he's going to have to drop back and throw the football here. For most of that game, that seemed to be a real issue for them. It's been an issue all year. And at the end of the day, with as good as this offense is running the football and as creative as they can be, you know, it's hard to beat good teams or it's hard to beat good competition and talented defenses when you struggle to drop back and throw the football. I mean, it's just a simple reality of the sport, and Ole Miss has had that this year. You know, They have two freshman tackles. They've had to do maybe a little bit more reshuffling around the offensive line this year, particularly early in the year, than they thought they were going to have to do. And it's kind of weird, right? How are they so good run blocking? I know a lot of it's just schemed in the creativity of the running concepts, but right. struggle so much from a pass-blocking standpoint. And that Achilles heel, one of many, kind of came back to bite them in this game because – you know, whatever you think of this version of Alabama, they still got two really damn good pass rushers in Turner and Will Anderson. Their defensive oh, yeah. line is just as good as as good as a whole, as a unit. And uh, they really kind of preyed on Ole Miss's weakness in that game. And that made it really tough because, I mean, you saw it early on in the game. Like they had like a third down and three, false start on Pettis, I think. That turns yeah. up to a third and eight and like I don't know I can't be the only one sitting there like I don't think they're converting this like it just blew up the whole drive and so this rushing offense is great and it's it's all good and you need both running backs healthy that's another component but when getting you have to stay on schedule you have to stay ahead of the sticks you have to kind of get positive yards on first down and when you get to second and third and longs, this team just doesn't really have a ton of success doing that that's hard to beat good competition when that is the case.
2: No, 100%. They've struggled all year with just simple drop-back passes. I mean, I say simple, but just like, you you know, non-play action motion drop-back passes, which is an important part of any offense. I I think Dart uh, has struggled on just simple intermediary throws. I mean, every time it's a slant, it's like, you know, is this thing going to get tipped for an interception? Uh, They tried to, you know, taking Judkins out of the backfield on one of those third downs uh, closer to – The Ole Miss side uh, I think later in the game and he gets tipped and I feel like that's like the third or fourth time that's happened um and you know he did make some good throws he had a beautiful throw to Heath uh down the middle of the field he had some beautiful really really nice impressive timing throws to Heath that clearly they they keyed on Arnold out there and and they they went to that pretty often but then once Alabama kind of went to that, you know, quarters and, you know, two high safeties and kind of didn't give them that ability to do that. Uh, they really bogged down the passing game. And then, you know, when it's an obvious running down, you know, they struggled on first downs in the second half, which they always do, just not really getting anything going. Um, I, I thought the, you know, the whole the Phantom holding call was was pretty killer on on that drive. And yeah. I think it was the third quarter. Uh, if I remember correctly, um that well, was start
1: runs for a first down where it felt like they really needed to get going, and all of a sudden it's second and twenty or whatever it was yeah, and
2: this team like, this team has shown that they are, <laughs> they they cannot get out of first and twenty or or I think they actually ended up being like first and twelve because I think they gave. I never understand that rule, but I think they gave because it, it was downfield or whatever. Um uh, but they struggle on any penalties to to you know, hold up drives and. Uh, I mean, and of course, like, you know, the the fourth and 16 and the, the play before that, you know, the fourth and eight earlier in the fourth quarter, like you said, when it's just a, a, a known drop back pass, they just have not been effective at all.
1: Yeah, they haven't. And you're right. I mean, like, the, you know, it's like one of those things where you think about it, it's like an obvious thing. It's like, well, no kidding when they're first and 20, like they don't have much success. But like there are teams that are explosive in the passing game. You have to have an elite, elite passing game, elite quarterback to overcome that. Josh Allen and Mahomes and guys like that are the ultimate examples of that, where it's like first and 20, and you're like, ah, is this actually even a big deal? Because I think they might convert this, and then they do. Ole Miss just doesn't have that. That's not what this offense uh, – it's just not what this current, like, version of this offense is. They just simply don't have it. And that came back to buy Yeah, that. and
2: that's – yeah, like, it's not a – It's not an ideal scenario for any offense. But what I'm saying is that they've struggled with just, you know, it's first and 20, let's get five, six, seven yards back and then kind of, you know, get semi-close to where we're at. But they've struggled just, you know, on stick routes, on stop routes, on slants. Just simple, short passing game has been really, really tough. So, like, I remember one drive, it was like they got a false start penalty, then an incompletion, and then second down they run Juggins for like three yards. And it's like it's third and 13, like you have no chance. Yep. And, you know, having to punt that, and of course, you know, that was like the uh, the like the like 25-yard punt, and Bama had it on, like, their, their freaking side of the field after that drive. I mean, that that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, no,
1: you're exactly right. It's the – like, even when Ole Miss has succeeded at times in the passing game, I, I, this isn't the correct term, but it's felt very, like, schemed up. Like, they hit, like, a quick corner route, like quicker developing stuff. When they're good, even when they throw it vertically down the field – it's quick routes even though they're deep down the field it's a back shoulder fade it's a it's a corner route to the short side of the field that's a quick throw that doesn't have to travel a, you know as long of a distance as you might initially think a route 15 20 yards down the field would have to it's that type of stuff early in the game you saw it it became you hit on it earlier when I think it was Terry and Arnold for Alabama freshman corner they they made it pretty clear I mean Gary Danielson for all the shit that guy takes actually is pretty insightful a lot of time where he just said right now, they don't think three can cover eight and they are making that known. Yeah. And that's absolutely the case. They did not think in a big league. heath played a great game. He had two incredible catches and it became clear. It was, a but it's back shoulder stuff. It's three step drop. He's probably 11 to 15 yards down the field, hit him on that back shoulder or hit him on that quick post corner or whatever you call those type of routes when it's, Third and 13, you go four wide, you're going to have four guys or three routes, you know, 10 to 15 yards down the field, whether it's a post, whether it's an in route, stuff like that, where Dart needs to make multiple reads, go through his progression and have time to survey the field. On those third and 13s and stuff like that, they just can't do that. They they don't do that well enough. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, could be receivers, creating separation, lack of depth there. It's definitely a lack of time with the offensive line. Some of it's Dart being a, you know, a 19-year-old red shirt freshman or sophomore or whatever he is. But that's just not something they're able to do. And so when they get in those situations, drives get killed much quicker than even last year. I know they struggled in the passing game some, but like you have an elite guy like Corral, where like on third and thirteen, I was like, all right, they can maybe find something here. They just don't have that this year. There's been a drop-off in the passing game because. No kidding, You lost a really good player and an older player in Matt Corral. And so that's kind of the stuff we're getting at, even though you've seen them have intermediate success with it. And that really kind of came back to bite them. Um, you know, they were going tempo early in the game, right? That leads into some of that quick passing game stuff. Well, as Kiffin said, you know, a lot of times teams get used to the, the speed of it or whatever, like tempo only works, you know, for us, it's worked a lot early in the game, I think was his quote after the yeah. fact. And when it gets bogged down, they become much less effective of an offense. And then, you know, the real piece of this, too, is as great as Judkins is, as awesome of a running back as he is, have not having Evans out there healthy playing and contributing – makes them a much more benign running game. It's just the truth. They're different runners. They can run different concepts. And we have enough of a sample size of this now that when they're both not out there clicking on all cylinders, this really kind of does become a benign offense because, one, Judkins is human. He gets tired. They can also key on him a little bit. Okay, the ball's probably going here in this counter or whatever this is type of thing. Whereas Evans, it just becomes a whole different ball game when you sub out of Judkins and you still have to deal with the former five-star that's incredibly quick and can get on the edge and make people miss and not having that really came back to bite them all the way down to the final drive of the game it was very evident they really needed Zach Evans and they just couldn't put together enough drives when they did it
0: no yeah
2: I mean in some ways you could say it might have even cost them the game because Judd King goes for you know 50 60 yards whatever that was in that first run give it back to him same exact play he goes for another 12 or 13 and I mean, he's he's gassed. I mean, you couldn't just hand the ball back to him again. I mean, he wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, not to mention, they probably knew what was coming in that sense as well. So, I mean, we've seen what this this offense looks like. I mean, LSU in the second half, not having Evans. You, you know, this kid has had – Chuckins had a lot of tread on those tires this year. Uh, had a lot of tread in this game. Played a ton of snaps again. And I think it's why Kevin always says in these postgame press conferences, like, that's not really what we want. You know, it might be what we have to do, but we don't want to do this. And I think this kind of came back to bite him of finally uh, having those issues.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to think about when we talk about the depth of the running back room and all of that. You know, at the beginning of the year when all three of them are healthy and they you know, Ulysses Bentley was getting a little bit more run. I mean, we had conversations and we weren't wrong to have them at the time. But it's like, is this running back room better than last year? And then Bentley gets hurt. He doesn't even, I don't know if he's fully healthy, but he doesn't seem like as much of a factor. He didn't play a ton of snaps in this game as well. But I mean, he hasn't really made an impact on the running game. And since like the second or third game of the season. And it's interesting to think about in terms of last year, where like, was Ely as good as Judkins or Evans is? Probably not. Like, was Henry Parrish on his own as good as either one of them? Probably not. Was Snoop Connor? Answer's probably not. But, like, when one of the three of those guys last year came out of the game, you didn't necessarily feel like there was a ton of drop-off. Like, all three were effective in how they used them. And the calculus just seems different this year, particularly with they banged up um, Evans and then whatever, you know, Bentley status is. I don't know if he's just not as maybe as good as they thought. Maybe he's still dealing with the hand or wrist thing. But, like, the yeah. drop-off after the first guy has been a lot more evident than you saw at any point last year. It almost sometimes didn't feel like it mattered who they had in the game.
2: Yeah, I I think that's very fair to say. And I think it's also, you know, very true that I kind of lost my train of thought there. I don't know what I have to say. (laughs) I I kind of lost what I was about to say, It it, it, definitely
1: matters in the game. And now you need Judkins or Evans in the game pretty much at all times. Like, it seems to matter a ton more who is in the game. Uh, no, it's your best, best yeah,
2: any your your best ability is your availability. And I think this may be a better room, but they just simply haven't been available in certain points of the season. And you know, it, it's tough whenever you're you know, your calling card is your rushing game, and you don't have all these guys there, all the weapons, you know, you're not as scary. And then Dart, you know, he's been a very good asset in the running game, but this is like not really the game for him you know this is this is not something where you need to have him take a ton of hits because you know he's going to have to you know, attempt to carry this team some ways in the air um and you know he wasn't able to really get anything going on the ground in this game um compared to some that he has been pretty productive productive in and uh it just all it, there's so many things and so many points you could talk about but You know, just the lack of second-half offense, you know, going back to our just initial point on the entire season and this game, is just the problem with this team this year. It's been two halves of football that has cost this team two games. Um, It really cost this team a chance to win the SEC West. It's been two halves. That is literally it. Um, And they were kind of like the same exact thing. Um, I mean, LSU's defense might even be better than Alabama's, and the result was still the same no matter what. Um, I think that's like the most frustrating part for me watching the game. Um, probably for Kiffin, probably watching the film today is just like, man, like this was our year. You know, I don't care if it was rebuilding or whatever, but you only have so many opportunities where your football team is is, is a, has the ability to go toe to toe with some of the better ones, especially when Auburn's down. A and M's a joke. Uh, Arkansas, man, we'll see them on you know Saturday or whatever, but. Uh, I mean, they're not very good. Mississippi State's not very good. Like, you are one of the top teams, and the thing that holds you back was the thing that you do best, hypothetically, with Kiffin. So it's just it, it's just really, really disappointing.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a tough pill to swallow because you're right. Like, And another piece of that running part, too, is uh, they took away Dart ability, uh, Dart's ability to run the football. They were very good at when he kind of started to take off or maybe it was kind of a delayed QB draw or run type of thing. They crashed in on that defensive line a lot quicker. Dart ends up with 16 carries for 35 yards. I don't know what the actual net rushing yardage is because college stupidly puts sacks and negates it against your personal rushing yards total. But that element, so it really just became all Judkins. Like dart wasn't much of a factor in the running game. And again, that's just another kind of weapon that Alabama took away and they became rather toothless because of it because again it was just all Judkins let's get to the I mean we could get bogged down and like you mentioned a million different points and details as to why it happened but like I guess we'll get to the end of the game the play calling you know they ride Judkins all the way down to the 14 or the 15 yard line or wherever they get and they elect not to go to him on really any of those final three to four plays to win that game and you know Kevin's not dumb like he and Weiss pretty good play callers they're pretty good schematically, but, and he mentioned after the game that, you know, Judkins was really tired. It's another point that Danielson was kind of all over real time. He's like, they got down here. Judkins, you know, they're calling the timeout, you know, he gets a blow here, but they can't sub in Evans. There's no Evans. Judkins is tired. Kiffin mentioned they had that in mind, but I'm just curious, you know, one thing to be tired, you know, you got a minute left to go in the game. What did you think of them not going back to him in those final four of the most crucial plays of the game when they really kind of rode him one all afternoon, but certainly all drive to that point?
2: Uh, I thought it's, I thought, you know, I said earlier that he was clearly gassed and pretty tired. Um, but I, I just even with that, the play calling in the last four plays was was pretty tough. I mean, if I remember correctly, the first play was. The fade to Heath that he ran a skinny post and they like were completely, you know, off schedule. Um, the second play was a sack.
1: I believe it was, Uh, yeah, it was dark. Like I think he was going to take off the run. I don't know if it was a design thing, but it clearly. Well, I think
2: third down was the, yeah, I think second down was a sack. Third down was the design quarterback draw that went absolutely nowhere. Um, I understood what they were trying to do there, but I mean at the same time, it's like you're just not putting a whole lot of pressure on Bama. I guess you're trying to get a a more serviceable fourth down, but just starting with the first play was bad. And then just not you just feel like that's your best plays. We talked about this with AM and and uh and Bama earlier in the season. Um Like you just have to put out your best stuff. You have to, you know, put the ball in the end zone. Maybe you get a pass interference, you know, maybe you get something done correctly. Cause I mean, fourth down and you were done there. I mean, you had like really no shot and to get all the way down there and just have such a stinker, you know, I am not going to sit here and like necessarily question the play calling because, you know, these guys are pretty good at what they do. Uh, I think we can say that, you know, despite their struggles, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know more than, than either Charlie or Lane, but it it didn't look good. And I think we're fair to judge that um, for what it is. And uh, that's just, you know, uh, just a microcosm of their issues in the red zone, their issues in offense in the second half in general, it's just the lack of kind of creativity that you see in the first half. It just kind of, you know, completely goes away once the game goes along. And I think all that combined with the ability to win this game, it's just tough. It's, it's, It's just what it is. And, uh, it just was not. I mean, it just never felt confident. I, I never felt confident they were scoring from the eleven yard line,
1: particularly after the first play, right?
2: How, but they had the opportunity to get another first down. I believe you know it wasn't first and goal, and it's like they just forgot about that. It's like they didn't think of the opportunity to possibly continue to get a first down. I know I don't think they had any timeouts or whatever, but it, it's just tough. I mean, it, it was a tough look. It, it didn't. No one looked comfortable. Um, the fourth and eight on the possession before that kind of going back just a little bit, they liked, they were going fast on fourth and eight. And they
1: not going fast prior to that, by the way. Yeah. It, it and sense.
2: It, it made no sense to me because, you know, I've noticed when this team kind of goes fast on some of these plays, like really, really quickly, it's almost like it confuses the offensive line more than the defense. You know, the defense may be out of position, but then the offensive linemen don't count their guys you know, they don't know who they're supposed to be blocking down on or who's got who, which gap. And it, it happened like two or three times today where going so fast it ended up screwing them up. And then it, it just it it just all was so bogged down. And it just all came together on that final four plays. It was just like they, they just never felt confident they were going to score there.
1: It re- and it re- it was a microcosm, as you just well put it on the last drive, but it was the entire second half. I mean, look, Alabama scores on that long drive to tie it up at 24 where you look around and you're like, man, Ole Miss only really had – in like they've had the football in forever. Like, got the, they took a bunch of time. Ole Miss only had two possessions in the third quarter. To give them credit, they had a great 11-play, 75-yard drive after the Alabama field goal to go up 24-17. to 17, Which was to aided 14. by
2: the face mask, if yes, I remember correctly. Yes, exactly. So, you know, semi-fraudulent, some would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, after that, though, like, at 24-24, you have a quick three and out. Like, I think a Judkins run got blown up really quickly – and then there just wasn't anything else to do. I mean, you mentioned them not being comp, you not being confident uh, for them to score um, from the, what was that? I guess that would be the. It was like
2: the 13 or 14 yard line.
1: Yeah. I mean, that I'm kind of, the, I'm with you on that, particularly after the first down. When they wasted the first down and it got to second and 10, I was like, this isn't going to end well. Like them being out, like, the way this offense is designed and what they current version of them are, they can't really afford to waste a first down where they don't get positive yardage, particularly against good defenses. It just didn't ever seem to work out well for them after that. And I was kind of in the same line of thinking. I was like, Oh, now it's second and 10. This doesn't seem great. Judkins is gassed. Like, I don't know. I figured maybe they try to run it with Judkins and try to get five yards to get into a third and four or a third and three or something like that. Right. Cause you do have still three more downs with it being four down territory to get that. But the play calling was a little, I thought suspect throughout that entire one. I though the drive I was referring to, I guess was technically right at the end of the third quarter, but that quick three and out that flipped the game. Like they didn't even really get to flip much field position. Um, it did just, immediately gave the ball back to Alabama who already had the momentum. The offensive had offense hadn't been on the field much, and it just – they're about to go sit for another five minutes on the sideline. That, that piece of it, it really kind of um, just manifested itself throughout the entire second half. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the officiating aspect of this. Um, I'm not a big officiated conspiracy theory guy. I genuinely believe – generally believe that it's just widespread incompetence. Um you know, not full-time guys. You got dudes that are doing this on the weekend as side hustles. I don't think they're well-trained. I just think they're generally bad at what they do. But, I mean, I texted my my girlfriend's family in like, the group text where they're asking about the officiating. I'm like, yeah, I'm usually not a conspiracy guy. But then you watch games like this and you wonder if this thing is run by the mafia. And it's just, like, it, it, it's inexplicable to me at times. Like, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I don't want to go full-on, they were never going to give Ole Miss a chance or whatever the case may be. But when you watch stuff like this, it's it's weird – like I don't understand how you explain away the unexplainable. I mean, it's it's just you know they get the league doesn't like being accused of protecting big brands or it's bigger kind of blue blood programs. But you have games like that, and I, again, I'm not a conspiracy to that, but I can't help but wonder, like what the hell that is? How does this happen? Gary Danielson, who gets accused of being a Alabama Homer all the time, was sitting there in disbelief. I'm watching the game again today, and he said on two different occasions, "How did they miss that?" And it's just. Yeah. It only seemed to happen one way. Did Alabama have calls go against them that may have been bad calls? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But like Ole Miss only got called for six penalties. There's only 11 called total in this game. But there's three or four that are just egregious that I just – again, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how you explain that one away, and it really makes you wonder.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the officiating was really bad. Um, it was really, really bad in the first half. Yep. Um, like, even though Ole Miss scored on that drive, they missed the, you know, they missed some bad, bad, bad calls. The pass interference was terrible. Um, the face mask on Dar, I know they scored, but it's like, it's kind of like a, you know, a foreshadowing of what's to come. That was terrible. I mean, it, it just, you know, It wasn't good. And honestly, it started in the first game because LSU got a call on a a close first down that was just not, it just was not a first down. It was like not close. And it was kind of like, oh, it's going to be one of those days, you know, we're going to protect the playoff contenders. Um, But for me, uh, despite all of that, you know, if Ole Miss kind of handles their business, it doesn't matter. Truly, it doesn't. They did everything they needed to do to win that football game. You know, the refs, you know, they were not good. But they didn't stop Ole Miss from winning the football game by any means, you know, and even that weird, you know, camera angle of Dallas Turner smacking darts head in the grass. Like, yeah, like that's bullshit. And it probably should have been called. But like they didn't see it. So it didn't get called. And that's just life. You know, it, it sucks and it's stupid. But, um, you know, if they handle their business like they could have and should have, they the refs did not stop Ole Miss from winning that football game
1: hundred percent Oh Miss didn't lose the football game because of officiating, but they were kind of the, uh, I won't say beneficiary, but they were hindered on some pretty, pretty insane calls. I mean, it's, it's again, it, there's, I've watched all a ton of bad officiated games. You get them more often than you get good officiated games in college, but like the, the non PI like 18, 19 yards down the field on like the second drive of the game or whatever it is, there's like, Oh my God, how do you miss that? The dark face mask in that first quarter on that next drive where it's like Oh, my goodness. And, look, I mean, it went the other way, too. Like, uh, whatever that pass home Miss had over the middle on the third and seven where they just it gave like, it three
2: yards short. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's like, how does that happen? So, to be completely fair, it wasn't all one-sided. And to your point, if Ole Miss handles its business the way it should have, it does – like, it should have won the football game, and it didn't. And so, it's like – it's one of those things, like, two things can be true at once. But this did feel like a game where you don't really buy into the theory – that the official, uh, the SEC doesn't want to some degree to protect its big brands because there's just, again, there's four or five plays in that game where you're like, what in God's name is going on here? I don't really know what the solution to it is. I don't I mean there's really no fix. Like it's going to continue to be the same. I was a little bit surprised Kiffin didn't, I didn't mention really anything about it at all in his post game press conference. I get he doesn't want to be fined
2: um, by the very least. Well, he mentioned it last night. <laughs> On Twitter, in a rant that I texted you about, I mean, he was retweeting out the wazoo on, like, every video of every penalty. So he might get some fine, but he wasn't going to say it in the press conference. One, because maybe he just didn't want it to be, like, you know, that vocal and outspoken. And the other is probably because he thought they didn't matter because they still should have won the game. Uh, I don't know the way he was really leaning towards that, but, you know, that's
1: still
0: a
2: fact.
1: It's just kind of crazy to think about. I mean, like, I mean, to your point, like when you initially texted me that, I thought he may go just full-on early stages Lane Kiffin, where remember that time when he was first gotten to FAU and he tweeted a meme of a blind referee with like a guard dog and just tagged Conference USA or Conference yes. USA officials or whatever. He didn't go that far, but it's just, man, there's four or five calls in that game where you're like, what in God's name is going on here and I know that was a frustrating part of it for fans. It would be remiss, again, if we didn't mention it. But, again, to your point, that is not why they lost the football game. I'm totally on board with that line of thinking for sure. It's just crazy to think about. And so kind of wrap this up from like a big picture standpoint. You mentioned this off the top. Like this was a missed opportunity. Um, And, you know, your opportunity to go to a New Year's Six game is very, very, very slim I think at this point, your opportunity to win an SEC West is very slim, and that's that. I think the missed opportunity is the biggest piece of this because they'll might, they'll have a better team next year. I think on paper, like just look again, we're more than a year out from you know the end of next season, but I do think they'll yeah, have. That's
2: assuming he's still here.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's assuming a lot, but just on paper, I do think Kiffin. I've heard that he believes they will have a good team at Ole Miss next year, but it's the opportunity, like you said, you're not going to catch you know. Alabama, this version of them down very often. You're not going to catch Auburn and A&M being complete dumpster fires. And, and even gone.
2: even LSU. I mean, yeah, I know LSU's that not they not very are, good. Like I say not very good. They're not a great They are, they are good, good, but they are not good. what they're probably going to be in the future. Yes. I mean, the whole ball is
1: is the fact that Brian Kelly, in what was thought to be an obvious rebuilding year, they lose to Florida State in New Orleans on opening night. That team just won the SEC West. Like, yeah. that sums up this missed opportunity better than anything. And it's the scheduling piece. They're going to have to go to Tuscaloosa and to Auburn next year, places where they don't really win. Like and this to game. Georgia. And, oh, I forgot about that. That's on the schedule yeah. next year. I don't know
2: if you've seen the schedule, but, like, their first SEC game is at Alabama. Their second one is versus LSU.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Like
3: yes.
1: that, that, that sums it up too. like, it's like, this was the opportunity. This felt like their best opportunity in quite a while. And again, you don't ever know how this is going to play out because we didn't think A&M was going to be a dumpster fire this year. We didn't think Alabama was going to stink. And then we get into the year and all this crazy stuff happens. So you don't ever know, but this did feel like a very unique opportunity to catch a down SEC West. And they didn't do it. And now a first year head coach, who hit the portal even harder than they did just to try to put together a competitive roster has won the toughest division in college football. That is kind of mind boggling. It's as mind boggling in 2015 as them beating Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, Auburn and Mississippi state and somehow not winning the West. I don't know how you or not Arkansas. Excuse me. They lost in the fourth and 25 Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Mississippi state. You don't win the West. Those two things are just equally mind boggling to me. And that's probably what makes this stings more than anything.
2: Yeah. And then now the rest of this season, you know, yeah, you want to win 10 games. You want to beat Mississippi state and Arkansas. Like, you know, it's not like they're just going to give up, but it'll be tough to, to motivate. I would imagine going to play in Fayetteville next Saturday night, when it's going to be probably 30 degrees. I mean, it's going to be a weird football game. I saw Ole Miss is a a three point favorite to open it up, which sounds about right, which is exactly what LSU was. Um,
1: That seems about right. Yeah.
2: And you know, the the story for the next, you know, I guess two months will be whether Lane Kiffin is going to be at Ole Miss. Right. And I'm fascinated on what his thought process is um, right now. You know, I saw that that tweet and I, I quote tweeted it from that Marcelo guy who I guess is like an Auburn guy who's now a national 247. You know, he comes yeah. out and says, you know, is this you know has Lane hit the ceiling at Ole Miss? And you know, I, I quote tweeted him and said it must be tough and exhausting carrying all that water. Um, and that got a little a little show on Twitter. But um, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating to me. You know, even though I think it's a stupid thing to say from someone who's probably begging and pleading uh, for him to leave to go to Auburn. But I mean, is there a part of Kiffin's mind that thinks that? You know, I think it's a it's a it's a valid question on. You know, is this that you know we did everything right, had the opportunity, and like couldn't do it? Um, I think that would be stupid because if anything, you know,
1: you're proving that really season. isn't
2: on Ole Miss. That's a it's a lot on kind of him. You know, they didn't win the game because they couldn't offensively. You know, they they couldn't execute offensively. That's kind of his job. You know, and I'm obviously not blaming Lane for this game or anything. That that's a little that's a little much. But it's interesting what his mindset is. I, I don't feel very comfortable about the situation. Um, his, his post game press conference was weird. I mean, he was he was on edge, um, more on edge than I've, I feel like I've seen him in a long time. Um, it, It'll be very interesting to see kind of what happens going forward. I, I was more confident in recent weeks of him not leaving. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. I don't know why. It's kind of just a, a hunch, but my hunch is leaning towards we're gonna have a pretty bumpy next few months, and I, I don't know why. I don't know how, but that, that is the way I feel about this right now.
1: I saw the C-Wing thing. I don't under necessarily understand that because he's got a decent opportunity to win back-to-back 10-win season at Ole Miss, which is something they have not done in since the 1960s. So he's clearly like proving <laughs> the C-Wing can't – exactly, basically ever. Like he he's proving the C-Wing can be raised, and they were right there with the chance to do it, and it largely kind of fell on him and the lack of offensive you know, execution or productivity – Toward the end of that football game, and so like I don't understand like that aspect of it,
2: but I also I agree. By the way, no, 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 I know I'm more like
1: directing that. the Marcelo, like directed the Marcelo piece of it. Like has he reached the ceiling? We're so used to cover Auburn. He's a big, I'm a big J journalist thing, despite working at 247, despite pretty openly when he was in on the Auburn beat, I thought kind of like your typical guy, inside guy that's sort of Homerish. So, like, that's some add much needed context there. He's now a national guy for them, but he spent a ton of years on that beat. He very clearly seems to want Kiffin to go to Auburn. I'm not necessarily even disagreeing with the fact that, you know, there's a decent chance he could leave next year, but I don't know if my feelings on the Auburn situation in particular has changed because again, we, I know we talked about this last week and I, we, I kind of said it on like outside of a guaranteed non-figures godfather type offer. I don't really see the fit, right? He's the branded Ole Miss. He does whatever he wants. He doesn't really answer to anybody. That's not really how it would roll there. I do think there's a chance he probably wants the Alabama gig at some point or the possibility of having that. I know you don't necessarily think that would disqualify from that, but I do think it would make it a little bit weirder if he were sure. to go to Auburn. And then he's also jumping into a program that, you know, the rebuilding college football thing now I think has been proven that you can fix it in a year with the portal and all that. But a very odd and what has been a dysfunctional situation. And so, again, could Lane Kiffin leave? I would actually be more inclined to, if I had to place a wager on that happening, it being due to Black Monday in the NFL. And, like, we go through this process, he stays, and then the Carolina Panthers or someone calls, and it's like, yep, I'm out of here in 12 hours. That to me, I just, the, my feelings on the Auburn situation have not been drastically changed. Very off, like based off of anything that's happened this week, and the main reason is, is Auburn doesn't beat Alabama with any regularity. Like he's going to have a better opportunity to do that there in the immediate future. I don't know if I necessarily buy into that wholeheartedly. So it's not an Auburn specific thing to me, even though I do believe the possibility open that he could leave at any time. That would not stun me.
2: My my opinions on that situation did not change because they lost to Alabama at all. I just kind of looking at the landscape. You know, and kind of my comments from from last week. You know, I I give zero it, it a zero percent chance that Auburn hires Hugh Freeze. Um, I don't think Lane is a good fit there, but I think it's been proven kind of around the country that fit doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Now, maybe there's a few places that that's you know not the case. I think Mississippi State is one of those places, and maybe Auburn is one of those places. Uh, but it's still a good job. It's a shit pain in the ass. You know, it's it's not probably what he wants to do. But I, I just don't know who else they're going to hire. That's the thing. I think it'll really tell you what the the market thinks about Auburn if Lane decides not to go because he's he's got to be their number one guy. So he's going to get that offer. It is going to come. Um, and if he doesn't take it, then I think you can kind of pull out your your survivor TV show and and tell Auburn. You know, I'm sorry, but you've been voted off of the island of top 15 jobs in the country because, you know, just look at yourself, (laughs) Um, if that makes any sense. Because I I think if he doesn't take it, I mean, I don't know where they go next that makes you feel any more comfortable about that job being successful. Um, I just have slowly but surely kind of come to the realization that, you know, he's going to get offered that job. He is their number one guy. Um, He has no loyalty to Ole Miss. He doesn't. Um, now, you know, no one knows what he's thinking. I don't know what he's thinking. I have no inside knowledge. I, I just don't know. I don't feel as comfortable about him not leaving as I, as I have in, in recent weeks and no, it had nothing to do with them losing to Alabama and, you know, hitting some you know bullshit perceived ceiling. It, it's just, it's just a weird situation and it's going to be the really only important story for Ole Miss for the next three weeks because of, the way college football works now with meaningless, stupid fucking bowl games that none of our players are going to play in anyway, um, which sucks because this is a good football team and it sucks. That that's what's going to be about. But that's also just the facts. Hugh Freeze and Jeff
1: Groms would be the other two names I would throw out immediately.
2: They're not they're just not hiring Hugh freeze. It's you I mean, It's just not going to happen. No, 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 no. I will place a verbal, you know, podcast wager with you on a hefty amount. I. It, they won't do it. I just don't think they're going to do it. And also they lost to UConn this week, which I know doesn't really matter at all because one game doesn't decide anything, but you know, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter at all. I just don't think they're doing it. Um, rule. Does that excite you if you're an Auburn fan? Really? Like, you know, a guy that just failed dramatically, which is also why I don't think Kiffin's going to the NFL because I just don't think NFL teams are going to do this shit anymore. Right? Or they hire the college coach. It just is not working for them. Um, it looks a lot better when you know the Minnesota Vikings go hire Kevin O'Connell, and now they're seven and one. Uh, I don't think Kiffin or Ryan Day or anybody is going to do that. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh is the the exception of that rule because he has had real you know sustained success at the NFL level. I, I don't think any NFL teams are going to call Kiffin, and it's not because he's not you know different and changed and matured and able and you know has the talent and ability to do it. I think it's more of a league thing that I think they're going to take a real uh, hard look at not doing NFL coaches. So, yeah, you know, Jeff Grimes is possible. You know, Dion's always possible. But, you know, Auburn's not hiring a black coach. No, there's not one in the SEC right now. So I don't think they're going to be the ones to buck that trend. Um, And, you know, it's funny as it is, you know, if Lane were to leave, that's that's my number one choice. But I just, I just, it's weird. I think he's their guy, and it's just a matter if he he rejects it or accepts it.
1: I will offer one last thing on this, um, that I think is important. That actually, Michael Borkey pointed out to me, sent me the story. Um, maybe it was a fine bomb interview, maybe it was a written story. I can't remember. But uh, there was an ESPN report regarding that. uh, Basically, kind of summed up that uh, they did not believe that they think Kiffin would leave Ole Miss for Auburn. Now, that report was gathered and reported by a guy named Chris Lowe. If there Who I have one, met in the building.
2: Yes, he is as close person. to Kiffin as possible. He is the only word you can trust on anything when it comes to lane and possibilities. And I read that story. He uh, got off the I plane with him
1: when he got about. hired. Like, this is the level we're talking about. He did a two-day embed, flew with him from Boca when he got hired, and went through that. Kiffin trusts, for whatever reason – Chris Lowe more than any other mem- media member in the country. And so when a report comes out like that, that he kind of, you know, outlines he doesn't necessarily think Kiffin would leave. They might look at Hugh, I think he mentioned Hugh Freeze, whatever. But point being, like, where do you think that came from? And that doesn't mean it wouldn't change. Like to your point, we're still three weeks out from sure. you know, the decision probably being made. But that's the thing that I thought was significant to me is like where he gathered that information, where do you think that came
0: from?
2: I I don't the way I interpreted that story was a lot more of like Kiffin is not just going to jump ship to jump ship. Like he he is more comfortable here. Right. I think he thinks he's got a good thing going here, but not that like he is not leaving old Mystico to Auburn. That that's not what he said. At least that's how I took it. It's more like he's gonna do real due diligence. It's not gonna be just like a you know, a money, you know, talent deal, it, it's going to be really where he's comfortable. And I do believe that he is more, much more comfortable in Oxford than he was when I was on staff in 2020. Um, But I, it's, it's still, like you said, like things absolutely, you know, absolutely change. Um And I don't know, you know, if they have in this instance or not. Um I, I do think that, you know, when you look forward you know, you can maybe look back on that first low story as being a foreshadowing on what was going to happen, him saying no. Uh, but that doesn't really today make me that much more comfortable, if you know what I mean.
1: One quote in there that says the low story, because I kind of interpreted a similar way that you did. It says, I don't know that Lane would take that job. And I'm not saying he would or wouldn't. Having talked to Lane a bunch over the years, I'll tell you this, Lane Kiffin's not necessarily driven by salary. I mean, he's making 7.5 right now, and everybody says, Oh, well, gosh, Auburn could pay 10. 11, 12 million that in and of itself is not what going is not what going, is not going to be what brings Lane Kiffin to Auburn. I think that's, he settled in there at Ole Miss. He likes what he's built. They won 10 games last year in regular season for the first time. They got a chance to win 10 this year. So there's a lot to be said for sort of seeing things through and seeing them, for what they are. I just find that piece of it fascinating that he makes absolutely not necessarily absolutely. salary. So, like, that part is just interesting to me. But again, I don't really know. We could see how this plays out. Nothing stuns me in this sport anymore. I just thought that report coming from that particular reporter was rather fascinating to me. Um, last thing before we bounce around the SEC and hit soccer corner and get out of here is the fact that, like, what there is left to play for. You mentioned it maybe being a little bit more difficult to motivate them to get to go to Arkansas and all of that with everything kind of, you know, tangibly their tangible goals for the season being out the door. I asked Chase this same question on the post-game show last night because I thought it was abs- like interesting fodder. Like, how do you get them to go? What does the next couple of games look like? And I do believe the bowl games are rather insignificant. I don't like the way college football is structured. I don't think it makes a ton of sense. But I also will say I do think there is significance to getting to that 10 and two milestone again and winning 10 games back to back years. Cause if you go 10 and two at this club with a lot of the pieces in theory returning next year, instead of like kind of fizzling out and going, you know, nine and three, I do think they beat Mississippi state at home, particularly at this point. You haven't seen what I've seen from Mississippi state that not being a guarantee. I do think there is significance to that. And so you know, I, this college football thing is such a week-to-week thing because we're seeing different tunes week after week after week after watching these results play out. But, I mean, there is a world also where they win both of these games. They go to a good bowl game. Maybe they add the 11th win in the bowl game, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, young quarterback Dart, a lot of these pieces coming back. Like Ole Miss kind of has it going on. So I guess what I'm the way I'm framing it is I do think it could be difficult, but I also don't think it is completely meaningless. I think you could craft a completely different narrative about your program based on how these final two weeks play out.
2: Uh yeah, I think that's completely fair. I, I think they're important games in that aspect of just building momentum going into the offseason. I think my my meaningless statement was because, you know, tan- like you said, tangible goals, West you know, possible playoff, all that stuff, that that's done. So I think just getting the kids in the right mindset is going to be incredibly difficult going on the road next week uh coming off of this game because there's always a letdown, whether you beat Alabama or lose to them. It's always, you know, an emotional change to go play Arkansas. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, getting to 10 wins again is huge. And then, you know, a, a meaningless bowl game, maybe getting to 11 – Um, and then you know recruiting wise that's helpful portal wise it's a a huge proof of concept that you can come here and kind of change your narrative on your current career or whatever Um, and I think they have a chance to be a really good football team next year Uh, both your tackles are back you know they've gotten a lot of experience you know they've played really really good games and some some okay games but you know they're going to be back you're going to be replacing two guards who have been incredibly impactful, but I I think they will be able to do that. You're going to have your quarterback back. You're going to have your your freshman phenom running back back. Uh, You might even have Bentley back. You know, Evans, I would imagine he's gone. Uh, Receiver-wise, you're going to be rebuilding, but it's not like that's been the strength of the team anyway. Uh, And then defensively, you're losing a few guys, you know, some important pieces, but I, I think they've recruited incredibly well at the defensive back spot and other places. Um, And then you're going to have, you know, a guy like Suntarian Perkins coming in, who is a freak. You know, I don't think he'll be Harold Perkins as a freshman, but maybe he could be our version of Perkins. (laughs) A really good impact player at a huge position to need, uh, assuming they can, you know, sign him and keep that going. So it's all going in the right direction. um, My my old comments were just like, you know, the goals will not be met this year. I think that is a little disappointing for probably the coaches and the players.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I get what you meant by that. And then you mentioned that the Evans piece of it is interesting to me. So he has the COVID year at TCU. He has uh, last year. You think he would go to the NFL this year, like after this season, or go somewhere else?
2: No, NFL, NFL. Um, For a guy that's a running back who has real talent, um, that's been very obvious. Uh, He also has real injury concerns. Uh, I don't know how much his stock will increase – you know, over the next you know year, if he comes back, you know, I'd love him to come back. I, I just think it's kind of a the position of running back. It's kind of like the time is now adding more treads to those tires is not necessarily probably his best path forward. In my opinion, it could be I could be way off, but that's just kind of how I see it.
1: So, I mean, that's a big loss to replace. Again, in theory, you probably get Judkins back. I don't see any way he goes anywhere else. So it is,
2: no, I'm so tired of that shit. Like you know,
1: and that that's people that don't. Not that I pretend to know the kid, but don't factor any of the situations into that kid. That kid's not built like that. And guess what? He's going to get a fat nil raise this year. It may have already happened. Um, you know, I mean, it's finding kind of funny to say it's a contract year for a college kid, but that man deserves a new contract, whatever that case may be. Yes. This, the, yeah, that, I mean, that that Auburn's is not
2: good. Auburn's not pulling up, you know, and offering that kid five million dollars. I no, mean, if they do, that's insane. But that he's insane. not leaving. That's not ha- unless Kiffin leaves. Like he's not leaving.
1: I'm with you there. So it's it's fascinating. I don't know. We'll see how these last couple of games play out. I do think you know you get to ten and two, and all of a sudden, I do from a proof of concept and a transfer pool to transfer to standpoint. You're starting thinking, wow, they you know lost Matt Corral, kind of retooled this offense, had to replace a lot on defense and won 10 games again. I do think that is impactful, and I'm kind of curious to see if they are able to get to that point. Let's bounce around the SEC real quickly and then hit soccer corner. It's kind of a light week, not a whole lot going on. I didn't watch a ton of football uh, because I was at the old Miss game. I watched a lot of the LSU-Arkansas game. That's actually the last thing I wanted to get to. You talk about the missed opportunity and all of this, and I'm sitting there thinking after the game – half or as the game's about to start, LSU knocks off Auburn – and you know I guess they could lose to AM, but I just don't necessarily see it but like, did this actually matter does a one-loss Ole Miss team get to the playoff in this weird year because now you got you no. who may not who may run the table you've got a one-loss Tennessee team you got an LSU team that's going to win the West or presumably going to win the West as a two-loss team and then you got Georgia in the mix as well and then you got Ohio State undefeated you got Michigan who's undefeated like In this current climate, like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, yes, this felt like a crushing loss, but, like, at the end of the day, did it matter? Did it change anything? Did it keep them from winning the West? Did it keep them from reaching the playoff? Of course, 11 and one's a whole different deal. I get it. But that's something I thought of as the game got started because of this weird scenario in college football this year.
2: Yeah. I mean, it mattered. Yes. Because you lost to Alabama at home. You kept your West, you know, hopes alive at least. And, you know, winning 11 games, going 11 and one, you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl, like almost certainly. Um because Bama would have been knocked out and they had no chance. So yeah, I mean, it mattered for a lot of things, but were they going to make the playoff at eleven and one having I don't think so. in the SC championship game? I would say almost certainly not. No. Um, so in that case, sure, it didn't matter, but from many other, you know, situations, it definitely did.
1: It's just yeah, it's a weird year. It's weird to think that they like would have needed, and may- maybe in some ways it's an easier pill for old Miss fans to swallow. Can you imagine them going eleven and one and not winning the West nor getting into the playoffs? Oh well,
2: all I was I was just thinking not. about like what had happened if, if LSU had had ended up losing today, and then this game played out the way that it did. That was what was going through my head the whole time. It Was like, oh my god, like you want to talk about you know the unfortunate we are, old Miss like that. I mean, there it's that you know reality was not that far away. Uh, unfortunately, no, I'm with you. I knew what you were saying. I just like it just thinking out loud in general. Like, does it
1: almost make it a little <laughs> easier to swallow? Cause if you go, you know, seven and one in the West and you don't win it and you don't get in the playoff, like if you're an Ole Miss fan, do you just jump off a bridge? Cause it's never happening. Like, you know what I mean? Now at least that possibility, I guess, is just out the door. Yeah. Well, my out worst,
2: door. my worst nightmare was them, you know, going eleven and one. LSU going, uh, I guess it would be ten and two, and still winning the West, and then having you know Keith Carter have to make the decision on whether he's going to put a uh, an SC West champions uh, fucking banner in this in the stadium. You know, twenty twenty two SC West champions, and having that O to-
1: three one still up there, by the way.
2: Which is a joke, by the way. Um, I think I told somebody that while I was working there. I was like, can we take this shit down? Like, please. Like, you want to be serious? Like, that's how down. you be serious, is you fucking take that shit down.
1: Not only that, it says co-champions on there. They didn't even just – not the loophole. They didn't win the tiebreaker. Rails it literally just says co-champions. It's just like, come on, man, what are we doing? Like
2: A&M. It's like AM getting rings for uh, getting fourth place.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Like it's, a, I get that's it. It's like it was a Pete Boone thing at the time, but it is just funny. So, I don't know. We'll see how these last couple games shake out. Looking around the league, it was kind of a light SEC slate in terms of impact outside of that. I did not watch a second – of Auburn A&M, good for Cadillac Williams. That looked like a really cool scene for a program and a fan awesome base. Awesome scene. I
2: know we don't want to compliment them right now, but that was really, really, really impressive by that fan base and by that football team. Just the entire night was, I mean, doing the swag surfing during the post-game interview with the lights. It was really cool. I mean, I, I was like, this is awesome.
1: A&M, though, what the, this is a true – I saw a college football writer say this earlier today, and I thought it was an interesting thought exercise. It's like, this is truly an unprecedented situation. You was Alex, Alex tweeted that. I saw it. Program. And in any other rational scenario, this guy would be canned. You came in as a preseason top six team, and they may go three and nine. I don't know who they play next week.
2: It's um, UMass and then LSU. Okay,
1: four and eight. So, like, yeah, four and eight. Like, what in God's name? How is this happening? How do you not beat this version of an Auburn team with an interim head coach, even in that state game where you could have made an argument Auburn should have won that game, but they were still just a train wreck offensively. It's Ashford run on the edge or nothing else. Occasionally you have a Bixby pop one. How does they, How does this happen? I, I, I get it. Backup quarterback. I get a lot of those things. They're dealing with injuries too, but you're at the point where you cannot even win this game on the road against this current version of Auburn. It just blows my mind.
2: Yeah, it. I mean, I didn't really see a lot except for like the last few plays because we were at that party, but it, it's inexplainable. And I, I think Kirshner, um, who, you know, made that tweet was like, I don't think we've ever seen a roster with this much talent uh, with these expectations. Just have a season that was like, literally, we're going four and eight. <laughs> I mean, even Brian Kelly's Notre Dame year was like, OK, like this is definitely really, really weird, but it's not to this level. It was not the top 10 level. And you saw with that year, you know, Kelly, you know, completely changed like almost everything about that program. And we've had, you know, conversations back and forth. I don't know if Jimbo is going to do that <laughs> because yeah. Kelly didn't have $85 million hanging over his head uh, for to get fired. You know, the, Jimbo, that he's in such a point of leverage right now that, you know, I think he will, because I think he doesn't, obviously he's an incredibly competitive person, but I don't, I'm not sure it might matter. And then, of course, he's going to be the most fascinating. His roster, you know, come December 5th, is going to be the most fascinating roster in football because, like, how many of these guys freaking stay? It feels you know, like a what... lot
1: might leave, does it not?
2: It feels like a lot. It feels like a lot are going to leave. So, I mean, I don't know. They're not in a good spot uh, by any means. That's pretty freaking obvious because uh, that Auburn team is terrible. And they lost to them, like, in a just completely incompetent fashion.
1: I watched a decent bit of uh... – State Georgia as I got back home from the game and then waited on my like segment for the post-game show. Look, I get it, five-point game at halftime. It was a little bit competitive, but this Mike Leach thing is just completely played out. And I, I I was guilty of reading some state message boards today just to try to get a little bit of a vibe of what they're feeling about this thing. And that seems like they feel the exact same way. Like they against good teams and good opponents, this doesn't really work. It's predictable. It's kind of played out. They'll be seven and five. And they'll rarely go four and eight, but outside of that, Man, this is tough to watch on a week in and week out basis. And now, on top of this, is you're now actually watching Will Rogers struggle where he's not hitting open receivers and he's not footing the ball in the right place. Like the big not for all the knocks on him about arm strength and athleticism and all that, at least he was accurate and put the balls in the and put the ball where it needed to go and was responsible. That's not even happening anymore. And you're bearing the results of it. I just, I would be very frustrated as a Mississippi State fan because there just seems to be little evidence that that is ever going in another direction outside of you will be seven and five, you'll win a game. You're not supposed to win, which he actually hasn't done this year. And then lose one. You're not supposed to uh, lose one. You feel like you shouldn't lose. And that's just kind of it. That's what this is. And I feel like that was a uh, kind of what you saw play out on display against the machine that is George on Saturday night.
2: No, I mean we, we talked about it last week and I, I kinda did we kinda had a slight disagreement. I'm willing to say that, you know, you were right, I was wrong, you were smart, I am stupid. Uh it it is not working. it, it is not. But it, it's it it's works, not working. but
1: it's not a high ceiling thing
2: exactly and you know if you're mississippi state like yeah like you know your expectations you know on a good year is to win you know eight games you know maybe even nine if you have a favorable schedule and i don't think they'll ever get to that point with the way that this current offense is structured and honestly it's begun to bleed into the defense because i think they have a really good defensive coordinator but the offense gives them so like little confidence that it just doesn't even matter at this point um and so i mean it's just it's it's not good and um, they have some shit team and then Ole Miss. I mean, a 7-5 and five season and losing to Ole Miss, you know, you have to even think of – at least consider it. And then, you know, you added in the fact that John Cohen basically came out and said, you know, at Auburn we have different characteristics and, you know, requirements for the job compared to there, which I was like, this is the most bizarre thing ever. I mean, you're just shooting yourself and your former, you know, alma mater and job. Like, that was like the weirdest comment of the weekend – um, it's just such a bad look from state from like every single angle right now. I mean, it was not impressive on Saturday. I mean, they Georgia like didn't even play well and still beat their ass by thirty.
1: I, yeah, exactly. That's well put. I think next year's the proof in the pudding year.
2: Well, yeah, I do. because I agree. because
1: of the COVID deal, they play. They have eight home games next year. They play. Are you eight serious? Games the yeah, something that with this, I read about this a couple weeks ago, and I don't know exactly what the case is, but it has something to do, I believe, with their scheduling with Arizona. Uh, getting derailed by the 2020 COVID year. So they will play eight home games in Starkville next year and four on the road. So if you go seven and five with eight of your games at home and play. yeah, That's, that's,
2: that's unacceptable.
1: Exactly. So I think that's kind of what you'll see next year. I don't think they're canning in this year. I guess, if you know, egg bulk induces weird things, particularly from that side of the rivalry. With a new AD,
2: you never know, but yeah, I I agree.
1: You lose by 50 or something to the egg ball. I'm not like forecasting that, but you know, could someone get mad enough to where they let Bracky Brett, the interim AD just take a stab at this and can him. I don't know, but I do think (laughs) it's probably next year. A couple other just quick ones real quick. I didn't watch any of Florida, South Carolina, but it's very clear. That Napier's team plays very hard. They're not very good. And then just South Carolina's not very talented. They don't have any talent. And then when it's, you know, they need to go on the road and win big games or games that they seem winnable. Like after the uh after the AM win, there's a plausible path for Shane Beamer in the South Carolina club to actually get to eight or nine wins. You're looking at the rest of their schedule and like, wow, they could do this. And now it's like, eh, they're gonna win seven or are they gonna win six? Like, just not very much there. And then I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you saw much of that game. That's just a big nothing burger for me. Good for Florida, they're playing better football, and Napier's going to have that rolling eventually.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm a full believer, and Napier's going to have it rolling eventually. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Richardson comes back. Uh, he yeah. made some pretty sick plays. Um, Travis Etienne's little brother from Louisiana, Trevor, went for 80. I uh, saw that highlight. Um, you know, the, the, Florida is not very good, but they're fully capable of beating bad teams, and South Carolina, like you said, plays hard, but they are, they are bad. They are legitimately bad.
1: And then the uh, last one, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you
2: off. No, 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 that's it. I mean, th- I didn't see much on it. But uh, are you talking about Vanderbilt next? Yeah, I, I was going to say,
1: the last but not least, our doors <laughs> get a W. I was very happy to see that. We'll get to the Kentucky side in a second. I didn't watch much of this game because it happened at 3 o'clock during the Ole Miss game, but I watched the final drive. I watched them score a touchdown to go ahead. And just to see Clark Lee and the elation of that team and that program, um, you know, break the, you know, almost three-year-long streak of not winning a conference game or whatever it is. Maybe it's over three years. I can't remember. But point being, just to continue kind of chopping wood and going up every week and, and losing games to finally get some kind of proof of, hey, this is working and and we're doing okay. That was very cool to see. I was glad Vanderbilt got that win. I thought it might happen. Um, I didn't pick them to cover in Neil's picks because they just absolutely shit on me last week. while well, I think they thought they might have a chance to beat South Carolina at home. But what a great win for Clark Lee. I thought that was awesome. I was happy for them in that program.
2: Awesome. 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 We were actually flipping back and forth a little bit because um, <laughs> as I've mentioned, my brother went to Vanderbilt. Um, and he was texting us. He's like, Hey guys, like we're like driving to win this football game right here. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, we were kind of going back and forth a little bit during the game and it's just awesome. I mean, I like, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Clark Lee fan after he handled, uh, the passing of, of one of my former coaches that was a, a, that was a legend at Vanderbilt, uh, Jimmy Williams, he, he and the athletic director, uh, was were just incredible during that whole deal. I was like, I, this guy's, you know, you're not going to win at Vanderbilt, but he's going to do, like, a really good job. And this was kind of a, you know, a proof of concept game that, like, they've got something going there, you know, to the level that you can get something going at Vanderbilt. Um, Kentucky, no bueno. Whoa,
1: dude, this is
2: <laughs> brutal.
1: What, top no – preseason bueno. top 12 team? You know, first-round pick at quarterback, so they said. Uh, that's, again, their words, not anything that I believe or that I think. But not only that, I mean, you lose the home game to South Carolina at the back of quarterback, and then you lose to Vanderbilt. Wow. Wow. I just I never I thought that Kentucky team that even though they left Oxford with a loss I was like that's a pretty good football team that just came out on the wrong end. Today. I said the
2: same thing. I was like if they had the defensive line offensive line in of their past like they're like a a win the East team. Yes, like, I thought they they are not. I, I was bad. dead wrong. where Weldon was wrong. Like Colin Cowherd, uh, they are terrible. I would uh, Will there. Levis? Will Levis? I mean. Maybe he's just a guy similar to Josh Allen. No one's a Josh, so I actually take it back completely because he'll never be Josh Allen. I, I I don't see it. I don't get it. Rodriguez is still a beast. Um, they just got a lot of things there. I think this is like a classic. You know, Mark Stoops is is leaving for something after this season. Because I think that I think it's that's a that's where very, the
1: Marcelo tweet would fit. I think he's hundred percent he what he can do there.
2: Yes, I, I think he has done all he can do. He's been there. He's won there consistently um, at a high level. This is not going to be one of those seasons. Uh, You know, it's kind of like he hit the plateau of getting to 10 wins here, and then it's kind of regressing to the mean. And uh it, it was just not good. I mean, they are uh, they're just not very good. And it's honestly pretty surprising how bad they are, considering like what we saw earlier in the year. It it really is shocking,
1: and as great as that was for Vanderbilt, um, on the other end of it, it's like my God, Kentucky, like what what are you doing here? So that was the week that was in the Southeastern Conference. Before uh, before we get out of here, we're of course hit the fastest growing segment on American. So it is Soccer Corner. I met, I ran into a rabid Soccer Corner fan at the library on uh Friday evening. Uh, Andrew Glaze, he actually showed me a uh, at the, he's from Jackson. He showed me a photo of him going to a an EPL match, I think earlier this year, I can't remember what it was. Your, your boy may have had a core lighter slider to in him at this point. So my, uh, my recollection of the photos may be a little foggy, but uh, just one of the many rabid soccer corner fans we have out there, just boots on the ground over there in Europe uh at EPL, i know you mentioned before we started recording it was a little quiet week in the epl but i'll just start where i always do we have another week and it is not quite man city at the top and now arsenal has a five-point lead what has happened this week and i'll throw the age-old question has anything changed in your opinion
2: i think this is the week that it, it did change for me Oh yeah um,
1: 14 matches in it said uh, it says I,
2: I woke up woke up saturday morning uh and watched city play brentford and watch City dominate them, and then Brentford comes down on, like, an incredible counterattack and gets the winning goal on the road in, like, the last second. Huge. Um, for the huge. It was it was really awesome. It was also awesome because their striker, Ivan Tony, who is an absolute beast for Brentford, got left off of the England World Cup squad and had two goals at Man City to embarrass them. So that was really cool, too um arsenal goes on the road again and wins you know in pretty comfortable fashion uh they're now up five points which is like the first real you know semi-comfortable lead that they've had the whole time uh they're just playing incredibly well uh against everybody home road it doesn't matter i I do believe now more than i have ever believed that they have a real real chance to win this league yes wow okay it it has changed we have, I, I think City I think they're they're obviously still incredible and you know they're in the Champions League and they're still rolling in that uh their their form in the Premier League over the last few weeks has been really below their standard similar to like you know Alabama we talk about. Uh, so it, it'll be very interesting.
1: So the next thing I'll ask you then if, you, if your belief is starting to change a little bit you have Arsenal that's at 37 points they have a five point lead over Manchester City. Is there a world where Arsenal does not continue at this clip? They get bought, oh, yeah. and it becomes a five- or six-team deal or six-club deal because we have my guys that I cannot commit to publicly, but uh, and, and I bought, want it to be interesting and be good. Saudi mm-hmm. Castle United, they're 30 points sitting there in solo third place as of this recording. Dad, could this become a thing if City's underperforming? You get a little drop-off from Arsenal – where all of a sudden you've got five clubs within two, three points of this thing at the end, and it just be, descends into total chaos with the Saudis coming on top, of course, is my hope. But could, could this be a wide open deal?
2: I see there being a potential scenario for having a pretty tight, maybe three-team race. Okay. Um, I think Liverpool has dropped simply too many points at this stage uh, to be considered. You know, I know they're only in six, but they are Fifteen points behind Arsenal, I think that is probably. I don't see City or Arsenal coming down you know, their form, coming down to that level. Uh, United is only eleven back. Tottenham is eight back. You know, and Saudi is, is seven back. It being uh, a little contentious toward the end for some of those teams. Yeah, I, I could definitely see having a much more exciting race that we've had in the past. I mean, except for I mean, of course, last year, but that was really only two teams. Uh, No one else was really coming close there necessarily. Um, There's a lot of really solid teams this year. And, you know, they're kind of, you know, congregating in the middle of the league. I know United had a last-second goal from our, you know, young Argentinian superstar to beat Fulham today. But Fulham's really good. Brentford went on the freaking road and beat uh, City. Uh, Chelsea is, you know, still a good team, but they have been total crap for, you know, the last three or four weeks. Um, and I mean, even these other teams like Villa with their new coach has, has come on pretty strong. so like, there's just so many good teams that I think you could see some of the top teams lose some points here and there, not get free. And then, yeah, it could, it could jumble up towards the top. Um, but I do think it probably will be one of Arsenal or city at this point
1: toward the bottom of the league. Like, I remember, maybe I have this incorrect, but I think West Ham maybe had a moment early in the season where I asked about them. Seems like they've fallen on hard times. They're all the way down to, like, I think 14th or 15th in the league. And then, of course, my favorite personal side story is uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers, who are now bringing up the rear. They're only at eight goals scored through 15 matches. I'd be wanting to burn my season tickets in the street. And then Nottingham Forest has now jumped into the last relegation slot. they moved up to uh, 18th out of the 20. So it seems like they're playing a little bit better soccer. And it seems like the um the bottom of the league is not necessarily decided in, in, by any stretch in terms of who might get relegated. I mean, I think there's t- uh, like eight, seven or seven teams maybe within four or five points of the relegation zone. Yeah, 14
2: think, to 20 are all in danger.
1: Which includes, the uh, of course, the real-life Ted Lasso there at Leeds there, our guy Jesse March. But uh, it seems like some movement at the bottom there, too. Um, which is interesting as well. Is Nottingham for to stay up? What? How do you make the bottom of the league? I mean, if Wolverhampton just continues to choose not to score goals, that does seem <laughs> like a problem. It does seem like they might eventually just be like, "Yeah, we are getting relegated."
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't like their odds at all. Um, I, I see them as the, a clear favorite to go down. Um, but the rest, you know, from uh, from Bournemouth, even Leicester, all the way to Southampton, it, it could be any of them. I mean, Leeds, you know, they're like the classic meme of like, why can't you be normal? They played like a four-three game against Tottenham, where they had the lead once, you know, came back from goal down twice. You know, they're just a, a total anxiety attack, but they have real talent on that squad. I do think they will figure it out. Um, but I'm looking at like Bournemouth and even Everton, who we talked about, has not gone down in like 65 years. Like some of those, I mean, those are bad clubs um really really bad. I mean Bournemouth actually beat has beaten Everton twice in, you know, four days because they had the uh the uh Carabao Cup during the week this week and uh they they eliminated them that's and that on like Thursday and then beat them on Sunday. So Everton's in real trouble too. Uh there's just a lot of clubs down there. It, it's way too early to tell on who is going to be a real contender to go down. Um but there's a lot of possibilities. <laughs>
1: And then last thing, I, you know, before we started this glorious segment that is Soccer Corner, I like I admitted I like the World Cup. It's very cool to root for your country. I watch pretty much most of the USA's. I say most all the USA's World Cup games, and I actually like turning it on for just random stuff just because what a spectacle it is. You may have tweeted something about this recently. I don't remember, but I, I thought I saw something from you. No ads, no promotion for the World Cup. I mean, this thing is like starting in like two weeks, right? We're going to have – you know, the rematch of the Revolutionary War the day after Thanksgiving where we got Great Britain and the United States. Hopefully we stick it to them again and then maybe throw some tea on the pitch afterward just to let them know we've had enough of their <laughs> shit 400 years later. But outside of that, there's been, like, no promotion for this thing. The only thing I've read on it is that they that Qatar made a uh, completely portable stadium out of, like, portable stuff that they can dismantle and take other places. What is up with the lack of promo for this deal? I don't feel like there's been
2: any juice it's, I think it being in Qatar uh, during football season has totally taken the promotional juice out of this thing. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the games start a week from today.
1: So a week, that's insane. A week, like, it's part a week of it's from whole, today. The like, whole human rights thing we got going on there, that did not seem like a great situation. There's,
2: there's the human rights issues. There's the way that this thing was bid out issues. I know there's a new Netflix documentary on kind of how it happened that came out last week that I'm going to watch at some point this week. Um, the injuries, I think what you saw was I said, fuck Qatar because Sadio Mane got hurt uh, playing for for Bayern Munich. And like there's been so many guys. I mean, you could make a, a, a World Cup winning 11 of all the guys that have gotten hurt leading up to this tournament because they're in their club matches. Whereas when it's in the summer, you've got like a month or two, maybe like three or four weeks of training and getting ready for it instead of playing actual competitive matches. So, I mean, there's, there's teams that have, like, literally had to change their rosters completely um, because guys have just been getting hurt. And it's not like these are catastrophic injuries. But if you're out for two or three weeks, I mean, you can't make the travel squad because you don't know when you're going to come back. So you have right. to give that roster spot to somebody else. And I think just a, a whole co- culmination of that, it being over there, the weird rules over there, you know, the the, the hundreds of people who died building the stadiums, the human rights issues I, it's just been a lot of it's been a lot of bullshit and um, you know I'm gonna watch every single game with a huge smile on my face because you know maybe I'm a terrible person but some people I think have definitely you know simmered down on you know kind of the World Cup and it's where it's scheduled and everything and you know like I said we'll probably or maybe have like a, a real preview show um at some point kind of going over some of the teams and you know who could win but uh it's definitely lost a little luster with me i would say but I like i said i'm watching every fucking game so it doesn't matter
1: i saw that the, their most bets on one side i forget which one it was like the most bets to win the world cup came on the united states is that just raw red that's just, just
2: raw game we game? live in the u.s they, they, they can't right.
1: actually win this whole thing can they
2: no no they okay. cannot well you never say never yeah. uh but they're they they going to really have to get out of this group that is um, much more competitive than it looks uh, when on paper. Uh, Iran, you know, our, our lovely allies over there, uh, they actually have a really competent team, if not a good team. Wow. And Wales, you know, they're up and down, but they have Gareth Bale, who's kind of like, you know, the king of that team. And they have some other really solid players. Then obviously England's England, uh, we are completely outmatched in that game, which has never stopped us before. Uh, but, you yeah, know, it's, it's a tough group. It's a much tougher group than it looks like on paper. But once you get out of that, you know, it's it's all bets are off because you don't know what your matchups going to be. The next in the knockout stages, you don't know who's going to upset who. You know, it, it's completely a completely new tournament. So if they get out of there. You never say never. But I sure as hell wouldn't be betting on them to win. It. This has been the fastest growing
1: segment on American. So it is soccer Corner. We'll do a preview show at this point because I do want to get somewhat educated on how this World Cup thing actually works we probably will not die take a deep dive into uh you know how they built these stadiums who died doing it we'll probably just stick to the soccer on the field but <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to that he is Weldon Rodenberg I appreciate the time as always my man and we'll all honor at you next week all right see you buddy all right that was Weldon Rodenberg that's going to do it for our show today appreciate his time as always If you made it to this part into this podcast I appreciate you making it a part of your day we'll be back with some Arkansas stuff this week Um, and, uh, you know, no, never know what else will pop up in between, but going to have a great week of content for you and some great shows. I appreciate you guys joining along as always. Y'all have a great start to your week.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.